We've been talking about character, and we've talked about it from different aspects, relationships, uh, foundation of character, and so forth. Um, and today we're talking about it in, in relationship to defeat. What does character look like when it's in defeat or failure? Because it's, I mean, pretty naive to think there aren't going to be a few defeats slash failures in my life. You know, and I'm going to kind of, I know that I'm very aware of the differences in those words, but I'm going to kind of use them as synonyms today for our purposes at least. Um, But you know, defeat or failure is an interesting concept because sometimes it's temporary. and, And then sometimes it can become a permanent plague in my life that just can't be shaken no matter what I do. Um... I would say that they are always, you know, my defeats and my failures, not always, but often can be humiliating as well, particularly if they are public. And when I say that, that doesn't mean you have to be an athlete or an actor to be public. It might be just public to your sphere of your business people or your circle of friends, your club, wherever. Um, and it can be it can be humiliating then, and some of us have experienced that with others, or maybe even maybe you've experienced it. Whether it's public, whether it's private, it's debilitating. Oftentimes, this whole thing of defeat and failure in our lives, um, and I don't know what that might mean for you. It's kind of interesting because when I, when, whenever you heard that this morning, first thing, uh, Rich is going to be talking about character in de, under defeat or in defeat or in failure. I have uh, little doubt that, that for many of you, you thought of a particular thing in your own life, or maybe in the life of others, or maybe you thought of an individual that came to mind, someone who's been a part of a recent failure or defeat. I don't, I don't know um, how, how that hits you. It's, it hits us all differently in different ways. Um, and I want to just address that. I want to address the, the many aspects of, of defeat that can happen in our lives. For, in our economy that we're living in, it, it's, uh, it's, easy to, it's easy to think about the fact that your defeat that you're dealing with, or failure, possibly, if you want to use that word, it may be something professional. Maybe you don't have a job, or maybe your job's been downsized severely, and maybe you're taking a, a, a tremendous pay cut. Uh, and maybe, maybe, maybe it's not your fault at all. Maybe it's, well, maybe it's W's fault. I mean, why not blame W, you know? Or maybe it's uh, President Obama's fault. Why not blame him? What the heck? You know, depending which party you are, blame one or the other, right? Um, maybe you really can't blame anybody. It's always fun to play the blame game, but maybe you really can't blame anybody. That's also a possibility as well. Here's the thing. Um, all of us have defeats and failures in our lives, and we have to deal with this. For some of us, right now, we may be staring down a, a, the, 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 the barrel of a, of, a, of a broken, failing marriage, or maybe that's already happened. Maybe it already ended in defeat. Or maybe it plods on in your particular situation in a meaningless, loveless we're simply roommates kind of way. That's no way to live. That's not how God designed you to live. You know, the other thing is some of our failures aren't always visible to anyone else. Um, maybe not even to those who know us best. Um, it's a deep streak of pride 
that you think you'll overcome, but it keeps rearing its, its ugly head, you know, and keeps rearing up inside of you. Maybe it's a problem of viewing unhealthy images, whether that be on the internet or whether that be on movies or whatever. Maybe it's the destructiveness, and it is destructive, of being drawn to the seamier sides of, of, of things that include gossip uh, or anything negative about others that makes me feel better about myself. And what that's different. Maybe it's in those, and, and we, sort of, we sort of minimize that. Well, I, it could be worse. And of course it could be, but that's not a healthy place to be either. Maybe it's an addiction. Again, I say that word, something pops into your mind. And, and, and I have no, I wish, one of the, I wish it's one of those times when we could just sort of let, let that pop up in the air and we could all see what different things might be revealing, though. Uh, what, what addiction, what, what pops into your mind? That might be alcohol. You say, oh, yeah, that's it. That might, be, you know, that might be the greatest addiction that I've ever dealt with. You know what that is? Selfishness. Greatest addiction ever. I do really well, and then boom. You know, the other shoe drops. Um, might be anger. Some people are addicted to anger. Maybe they don't blow up. Maybe you don't see it. Maybe, just, maybe it's just, again, maybe nobody else. It's just internal, and then you're just a mess inside. You know? Um, Maybe it's gossip. That's, that's an issue. But it's become such an addiction that maybe you're able even to manage it now and you think, I'm good, but it's still there. It's still lurking in the back of your mind and the recesses of your heart and your mind. And sometimes it casts such a wide shadow that it, it just paralyzes you to the point where there is no growth in your life whatsoever. It's personally, spiritually, or emotionally. Um, make no mistake, some of our defeats, some of our failures, um, all the world can see, and often people who claim to be, and many times are, people of faith. And they don't try to whitewash over them. And everybody can see it. And uh, that's what we're going to be dealing with today, actually. Listen, here's what I want you to see, though. When we fail to recognize and deal with our failures, two, three things happen, basically. When we, fail, when we fail to recognize and deal with our failures, we lose hope. We embrace defeat as normal. That happens all the time. People embracing failure as normal. Maybe their marriage sucks. Sorry. It just really stinks. But they've gotten so used to it, they think it's normal. Maybe their life has just, has just spiraled downward in such a way there's all kinds of garbage in their life, but they think that's normal. So when we fail to recognize and deal with our failures, we lose hope, we embrace, we embrace defeat as normal, and I want you to think about that. More importantly, we lose God's blessing. That's the third thing. We just lose God's blessing, and we get stuck. And then there's no growth personally or emotionally or spiritually. And I want to help you get unstuck if you're in that particular situation. And as important as that is, I want to keep you from getting stuck. Because nobody has it all together. And there's no room here for whitewashing over whatever you got going on. And there's no need for it. Because you're not as bad as somebody else. You're not any worse than anyone else. Certainly not this guy. <laughs> <laughs> 
Napoleon Hill said this. This is just a great thought. Every adversity, every failure, every heartache carries with it the seed of an equal or greater benefit. You see, because what I want to say to you is this. It is not the lack of failures, plural, or defeats. It is not the lack of failures that reveals our character. Rather, our character is revealed in how we respond to our failures. Don't ever forget that. Our character is revealed. Our response to our failure reveals our character. Clean way of saying it. Our response to, our, to, to, our, our response to failure reveals our character. Um, and I'll just tell you this. Some of the most righteous people that I know, some of the people that I consider really righteous and godly and, and do now, for the most part, have it all together. Nobody does all the time. Um, are people who have had some big failures in their life. But they recognized it, and they dealt with it before God Almighty. Um, we're going to look at a modern-day story uh, of a man who was basically, he, was, he, was, he had the persona of a rock star athlete, had it all. And, I mean, he had all the money in the... I mean, all the money. I mean, just all the money in the world. Beautiful wife. Well, in this particular culture, you could have more than one wife, and that was okay. God never approved that, by the way. It happened for a long time during the Old Testament especially. God never approved it. It was part of the culture. It did happen. But in this case, he had, you know, great wife, wives, plural. It's kind of weird. I know it sounds weird, but that was... That was the case in that particular situation. He could have anything that he wanted, could have anything he wanted to buy, and, and didn't, you know, it's just, there, there were no limits. Had a home in the mountains, had a home in the coast, uh, had a home in between, in the middle, and a few other homes just here and there for wherever, whatever purpose that he wanted. Um, and, and he was super wealthy. Uh, he was in the headlines every day. He had everything a man could want. Granted, the headlines, they didn't have 24-hour cable news network then. They had... You know, the Jerusalem Post, or probably the Bethlehem Daily, or whatever it was, um, the City of David Gazette. But um, his name was David. He was a king, arguably the most famous man in the world, of known, known world at that time, King David. And you probably know the story, and if you've been here very long, you've probably, uh, there have been a few times in recent years when I've alluded to the story, even read part of the story. I'm just going to go through it very quickly in case you don't or forgot or never have uh, what happens here. It, it, but it, it really helps illustrate this whole point of what character is, what defeat and failure is, and how our response to failure and defeat reveals our character. Here we go. David's out on his terrace. Late one afternoon, David got out of bed after taking a nap. I can relate. Went for a stroll on the roof of the palace, just looking around. As he looked out over the city, he noticed, uh uh-oh, you know, if we put sound effects in here, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was and was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam. Darn it, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. She's married. 
Now, a couple things real quick here about this. Okay, now, let me, just, let, me, let me set you up here. I'm biased. I'm a David person. I love David. He's my guy in the, in the Bible. I, just, I know that sounds, that sounds a little strange, but, but uh, he, he's, he's, he's just, you've heard me talk. I love David. When you love a person, you have a tendency to give them the benefit of the doubt, right? I mean, that's just part of love. You talk to a mom whose kid is in jail, he's probably innocent. That's just the way it is, you know? That's just, that's, that's part of love. And, 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 you know, not always, but usually the way that just, all of us have, who have kids, you know, understand that. Um, so I love David, and I got to tell you, there's a little, there's a, there's a little stuff going on here. And, and one is this, Bathsheba, Bathsheba's not, she's not getting a free pass from me on this, okay? Because she's, she's there, she's flaunting it, if you know what I mean. She's, she's kind of, I mean, I've been there. I've been to the, I've been to the ruins of, of the, and, and you can, I mean, she had to know. He's right up there watching. She had to know that. And, and scholars, more scholars than not would agree with that statement. And it's, it's, it's arguable, but more scholars than not would agree with it. She, she knew what the heck she was doing. Now, what was her purposes? I don't know. But she knew what she was doing, and she was, she was a, can I say this in church? She was a hottie. Can I say that? Is that offensive to anybody? Uh, a hottie? Is that, is that offensive? That's okay? Okay, the front row says it's okay. Um, God help us all. Uh, anyway, um, um, so she was a really good-looking lady and, you know, good body, all the other stuff. She was what uh, a friend of mine in my health club calls. Well, I have this friend, every now and then we'll end up on the same, uh, uh, beside each other on ellipticals or on, uh, you know, treadmills or whatever in some will come in front of us or whatever, and I was kind of like, oh, jeez, I don't need to be, let me see what else I can, where else I can look here. And, uh, and my friend says, ah, oh, she's body proud. Um, anyway, she was body proud, okay? Apparently, Bathsheba was. Here's the thing, though, that you've got to understand. I've had this conversation more than once. It's very uncomfortable with some guys. And in my case, it's only been men. I'm not saying it doesn't happen with women. In my case, it's only been, it's only been men. Where I've, I've, I've been with a guy who has, who has uh, shall we say, had a moral indiscretion and has, has, has slipped out, you know, has, has, has screwed up, basically. Been a part of an immoral relationship. And, and, and two or three, I don't know, four or five times, maybe most, in a couple of those situations, this is the conversation that I've had to have that's been very uncomfortable because they were, much like David was here, they were set up. And there's no question they were set up, whether it be for money or for some other reasons. I won't go into all that, but it, it there, there became very clear that they were set up. Here's the conversation that's kind of hard when you're sitting in my position. Yes, you were set up. There's no question about that. But dude, you did it. You still did it. And at some point, it doesn't matter what her motive was you got to come to grips with what your sin is. doesn't make your sin any less or any greater, but we have to deal with that. And that's an important part of this story. Whether she set him up, whether there was some conspiracy theory going on, whatever was going on, I don't know. But, but here's the issue is David sinned, and he knew it. And, and there's no no justifying that, although we, we people can justify so many things. There's no justification for that. Well, anyway, that's what happens, and they, uh, they uh, do their thing. And in verse 4, uh, then David sent for her. She came to the palace. He slept with her later when Bathsheba discovered she was pregnant. And he goes, oh, man. She sent a message to inform David. 
Verse 6, so David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah. Joab's a general of the army. Sorry, I didn't tell you that. He's the, he's the general of the army. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. This is her husband. When Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. Is this guy just painting the pit? I mean, you can just see this deception going on. How's the army? How are you doing? Are you being safe? All the time in the back of his hand. In the back of his head, he's scheming this whole thing. Oh, God, God, God. He says, well, go home and relax. Verse 8, David even sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace, which was a bottle of wine. You know what he was thinking. Um, and then you skip down to verse 10. I'm, you're going to figure out what's going on. When David heard what Uriah had done, I'm going to show you what he did in just a moment. He summoned him and asked, what's the matter with you? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? He didn't go home. He slept on the, on the, on the uh, threshold of the palace. He didn't go home to be with his wife. You know why? Read the rest of this. Verse 11, Uriah replied, The ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents, and General Joab and his officers are camping in the open fields. How can I go home and wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I wouldn't have a problem. I swear that I will never be guilty of acting like that. You know, and the issue is, wow! I don't know that most of us would have been so noble. I, I don't think I would have, but I mean, he, he, what a great guy! This is the kind of guy you can believe in. This is the kind of guy I can follow in the battle. I'm like, God bless you, man. I'll follow you, you know, into an assault on hell with a water pistol. I mean, this is a real, this is a great guy. Sorry. You had to think about that a little bit. I mean, you just really, you just really can get, can get, can get yourself behind this guy. Um, and, and by the way, by the way, Uriah, the Hittite, was one, there's a, there's a group of very elite core of guys who were, have been with David from the beginning, and they were called David's mighty men. We don't know exactly how many, 20-ish, circa 20, something like that, I don't know, uh, 20, 25, whatever. He was one of them. They knew each other. They'd had drinks together. They'd had dinner together a few times. They'd been through a lot together. You say, oh, man, I'm getting sick. Yeah, I feel your pain. So the next morning, look what happens in verse 14. So the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, and he gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter, watch this, this is just, this is, I don't know if you can say it's even worse, but it's, it's, it's bad. The letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest, then pull back so that he will be killed. So Joab assigned Uriah to, to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. And Uriah was killed along with several other Israelite soldiers. He had him killed. His friend. Because he's trying to cover up his sin. He doesn't want to have that in this come-to-Jesus moment in his life, in his case, we come to the Messiah moment. He wants to avoid that. That's painful. Later on in that chapter, but the Lord was very displeased with what David had done. If you know anything about the history of Israel, you realize that a couple things going on. One is King Saul, the, king, the first king of Israel, had, the kingdom had been taken away from him by God because of his ego and because he's a, just an egomaniac. And he had disobeyed God a number of many and, and never, never really dealt with it. You say, was it as bad of a sin as what David committed? Probably not as bad from the world's viewpoint, but in God's eyes, of course, all sin is sin. But King Saul, the first king, never came to, never came to God and truly repented. Within just a few weeks, 
Nathan, who was the, the palace preacher, I call him, the prophet, uh, came to David and said, what in the heck are you doing? Confronted him with it, and David fell on his knees. God, please forgive me. And this is what distinguished David from all the other people. This is why David was a man after God's own heart. He was ready to deal with, admit, and, 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 and deal with the sin that he had committed, the sins, plural, that he had committed. And these, this isn't the only time that he sinned. It was the only time like this but, that we know of, but there were many other times as well. He was willing to deal with it. Because, you see, it is our response to failure that reveals our character. It's not the lack of failure. It's our response to failure. Now, the really good news here is that in those... I'm going to use some improper English here for a moment by making a point. I have to say this to this group. Um, The really good news here is that in those hugest defeats of life, there is hope. There is redemption. There is forgiveness. And it becomes part of who you are. Uh, What's even better news is that while our defeats in life don't need to define us, they also don't need to enslave us. And for so many people in in their 40s or 50s or 60s or 70s are still being still being enslaved to something that they did wrong back in their teens or their 20s or even their 30s or 40s or even their 50s. It doesn't have to be that way. See, this message was intended to be and is intended to be one of hope and one of, one of encouragement. But here's what can happen when you read this passage and listen to my words. I want to make this really clear. You can come away from this and you can say, well, that was a great, great passage in the Bible, Rich, and great what you had to say about it. And now I understand that no matter how many times I fail, I can be forgiven. And that's true. But it would be wrong and inaccurate to leave here thinking, well, that's okay then. No, it's not okay. By the way, let me just fill you in on this. David had many things, many different consequences, at least fourfold. There's probably more uh, of, of consequences of this particular sin. I mean, he, he, it was a, he was a lot of years living with some of the fallout of this, and, and I'm sure it caused much heartache. It caused much heartache in his life. But the good news is this. These defeats... These, 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 these failures can also be used to help us really be, break free from, this, from, these, from these entanglements. Let me show you a passage. Galatians chapter 3. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. I love this. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself, but if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. You've been set free. You have been set free. You've been set free from religiosity uh, that leads to formulaic living. You've been set free from that. You've been set free from having to follow a certain this or a certain that, and if I do this and do this and do this and hold my tongue just right, I'll be forgiven. You've been set free from that. But, but don't think, well, that means I can just go and live however the heck I want to live. That's not, what, that's not what that, you can do that, but there will be consequences to it. But you've been set free also from the enslavement and the entrapment and the addictions that can take people and suck them in and never let them out and lose the blessing of God. You've been set free from that. Because, and, and see, here's the issue. You, you read this passage and some other passages in the Bible, and you come away thinking, well, no matter what I do, there's God's, there's God's grace and there's God's forgiveness. Yes, that's true. 
But there's something also much deeper than that. Let me illustrate it to you in terms of a, a marriage, okay? I've, I have, I have, I could tell you so many stories of ways that I have sinned against my wife, okay? 38 years, I think. Um, and, and I can tell you many ways that I've sinned against her, but we're going to limit that, okay? Let me just give you one real quick one a few years ago. Here, uh, she broke her leg. First time she ever had a broken bone ever in her body. First time ever. Broken bone. Still early in the stages in, in, our, in our house. We have three floors, and in the middle floor, the main floor, we don't have a bathroom, which is not unusual in some of these houses around here. And um, so... Um, I'm having to help her upstairs and downstairs at that particular time. Not, not a lot. I could still go to work and go to the office or come here. Uh, and I can just go back every so long, check on her, help her up the stairs wherever she needed to get to, what floor she ever needed to get to. Well, you know, still fairly early on, and this one day rolled around, and as it turned out, I had, I had already um, scheduled um, at least what was to me an important golf day. It's not funny. And so we know where this is going, don't we? It's going right down. Uh, and I said, hey, honey, I mean, you know, I don't have to do this. Of course, that's what you always say, right? You say, oh, I don't have to do this. And she was like, no, 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 you go, you're fine. And I said, well, you know, well, I'll put you in the basement and, and, and <laughs> tie you up and leave you in the basement. Now, I... I'll put you in the basement, and, and you've got the best TV down there. I've got my little refrigerator. It's well-stocked with whatever you need. I've I, I got my little cabinet back there with chips and all the good stuff of life, and a little bathroom down there. There's a washer if you really want to do something. But, but you know, but, <laughs> no, I didn't say that last part. <laughs> anyway, I said, you know, I'll, I'll make it quick. I'll be four hours, and I'll be back. And I scheduled this, and it's important to me to be at, at this one. And she said, okay, that's fine. Seven hours later, I come home. And she's like, her eyes are about that big, and she, I think, I think she's flipped off. She's dead. That's it. She, you know, she's flipped out. Um, uh, not really, but I mean, it's like, where have you been? Well, you know, we played a little extra. We did this. We had a little, little, little something to eat. And uh, she's like, you know, what the heck? You know, seven hours. I haven't seen daylight. <laughs> we worked through all that. And she forgave me. Now, you need to know, it wasn't like, you're forgiven. It wasn't quite like that. There was a little more of a process involved, but we won't go into details on that. But here's the issue. Could I do that again, and could I receive forgiveness from her? I'm sure I could. I say that with confidence. There might be a few more other things going on there, but I'm sure I could. And I'm sure that I would be eventually forgiven. Now, let me ask you the next question. Do I want to do that? Not no, but heck no. Why is that? Because of the consequences? Not that much. No, it's because of love. It's because of honor. Because of cherishing someone. I never want to do that. I don't want to disappoint her like that. And, and I laugh about it now, and we've laughed about it now. It's been a few years. But that, that hurt her, and it hurt me deeply. Take that about 300-fold and take that into relationship with Christ. Will he forgive you if you go back and do something stupid like this? Yeah, he will. But he gives us a new ability to live above that. And I don't want to do that because of my love for Christ. I want, I'm not worthy of his love, but I want to live in a way that's worthy of his love. 
So it's a whole new dimension that goes on here. Is it, I don't want to do this out of guilt? Not really. I don't want to do this because I just don't want to let the Lord and Savior who went to the cross to forgive my sins and give me new, I don't want to let him down. I still do from time to time. But if I can stop and think and pray, I'm saying, God, thank you for the, for the di- renewed power that you give me to live above that stuff. And you can do that. You don't have to live stuck in this stuff, enslaved in failure and defeat. Thank God for them. Thank God for what you learned. Don't want to go through it again. But thank you, God, that you give me a renewed ability to live above that. And he will. Don't have to whitewash over who I am. I can come before God in all genuine uh, authenticity and say, here I am, and thank you for the forgiveness that you give me. That's the issue here. And that's why I say, I've said it three times now, our response to failure reveals our character. And that character is fine-tuned in a relationship with God through Christ. Let's pray together. Lord God, we can, I continue to be, Lord, in awe of who you are and of your marvelous love for me. I thank you for your grace, for your forgiveness, and, and the love that you have for me. But as much as that, I thank you for also, God, that no matter what, you give me an ability to do better and to live at a higher standard because of the Spirit of God who lives in me. I thank you for that. I thank you for your grace. I pray for each person here that they would be blessed and they would be uh, just thoughtful on this very important truth. Help us, God, to remember we don't have to whitewash over who, who, what our stuff is and that uh, nobody has it all together. That's why we need you. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.